0: Welcome to the 2020 Tech Congress series. My name is Alina and this series will follow our newest class of Congressional Innovation Fellows as they make their way to Congress. We'll keep in touch with them throughout the year and follow up with them at the end of the fellowship to explore the highs, the lows, and the evolution of their experience. A little bit of background, Tech Congress was created after our founder, Travis Moore, saw the lack of technical expertise while working as a staffer in Congress. The fellows receive a two-week intensive training in politics and policy and take several weeks to talk to prospective offices and choose a placement in congressional offices that's highlighted with their skill set and politics. They spend the rest of the year on the Hill serving as tech policy advisors to their office. We're here today with Anna Lenhart, one of our 2020 fellows. Welcome to the program, Anna. Hey, thanks for having me. So where did you
1: grow up? Yeah, so I actually grew up not too far from here in Hagerstown, Maryland. Um, I eventually went on to do my undergrad at Carnegie Mellon, so it was in Pittsburgh, and then spent a fair amount of my 20s in San Diego, which was a um, very important place in my life and I consider a little bit like home. Um, Coming back to D.C., I've been back in D.C. for a year and a half, and it's felt a little bit like coming home because I'm within driving distance of my mom again, which has been really nice. Growing up, I had dyslexia, um, specifically in elementary school is when it really you know, it was impacting my education. Um, but I also was really, really good at mental math, just sort of like had a knack for it and could kind of see math, which um, research shows now that that's pretty common for people with dyslexia. But at the time, we didn't really know that. Um, But so most of my kind of K to 12, I was told, hey, you should go into engineering. You're really good at math and science. And it was sort of that narrative. Um, so, yeah, I did. You know, I went to Carnegie Mellon kind of knowing that that was a technology school and that, you know. I wouldn't have to do as much reading and writing. <laughs> um, that ended up not being completely true. Um, but, and now, you know, I, I, I'm a pretty good writer now, but it took, it took a while. Um, yeah, you know, I went into engineering to really solve problems. That's what excited me about it. And in my early career, I worked in alternative energy. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I really, I pretty quickly found out that that's not a technology problem. We have a lot of technology in that space. Mm-hmm. It's a policy problem. Um, and so I really quickly sort of shifted into this intersection of technology and policy. and and I truly believe that is how we will solve problems. Technology alone will not solve problems if we do not have strong policy. And I think we're seeing that more and more and more over the last decade. Um, yeah, so that's how I ended up in the space.
0: That's awesome. So when you were in California, did your work? Focus specifically on tech and policy?
1: Sort of. It kind of depends how you define policy, I guess. So yeah, for most of my career when I was living in San Diego, I had two jobs simultaneously. So the one was as a salesforce.com developer for nonprofits and small and medium-sized businesses. So there, I really was working on a wide range of issues, because the nonprofits I worked with were on a a wide range of issues. So everything from sort of mental health for women to um, alternative energy, environmental groups. I was really looking at how data was being stored and collected and used both to help these organizations automate tasks and make themselves more, you know, quote unquote, efficient, but also um, how that data was being stored and collected on often vulnerable populations. So I really started thinking about the role of data ethics and also just inequality more generally.
0: So how did you learn about Tech Congress? What made you want to join? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So,
0: so, I'll I'll continue on with
1: the from San Diego to, to the last couple of years. So, um while I was in San Diego, I was also running a nonprofit called the Next Generation of Service, which was an online alternative career center focused on helping people get into service years, so like AmeriCorps, Peace Corps, those types of programs. Um and at, at a certain point that nonprofit got acquired by a DC nonprofit called Service Year Alliance. And when that happened, I sort of had this moment of do I want to keep doing salesforce.com? Like that was something I was doing to support myself while running the nonprofit. And I had this sort of realization that, no, policy is really my passion. And so I went and got a master's in public policy at University of Michigan Ford School. And I showed up at the Ford School wanting to study inequality issues and very quickly realized that my technology background was going to be very important in the conversation around inequality. So I started studying data science and machine learning
0: while I was there as well. Was the program large for the number of technologists who studied policy, or were you kind of like the only one who was doing I think tech? I
1: was one of like two to four people who knew how to code mm-hmm. in my class. So yeah, no, <laughs> no, it wasn't very strong. And I think and I think that's why I felt really responsible almost, honestly, as someone who was passionate about policy, had worked in social services for a long time, but also knew at the time, I think, five programming languages and saw what automation could do and understood the limitations of technology as well. After grad school, I ended up taking a job with IBM in the federal government, uh, GBS, which is their sort of consulting branch. And the projects I worked on mostly involved using AI and machine learning for uh, social services, so housing unemployment benefits, these types of things. And it was really, it gave me a really interesting insight into the potential for data and machine learning and social services, but also um, areas where we need to be mindful and, uh, you know, really think through the use and uh, make sure we're protecting consumers and citizens. So um, that also got me thinking a lot about AI ethics while I was at IBM. IBM Research does a lot of work on machine learning bias and explainability in AI, and so I worked a lot with them and really thinking through how we could use the tools and research that they were putting out and make sure they were being used on our federal government projects. so it was really exciting work and really smart people and i learned a ton and while i was doing that work i actually met a tech congress fellow um, from last year's class allison hutchinson and she strongly encouraged me to get to the hill and so um i you know kind of applied on a whim and Really didn't think I was necessarily going to get it, Um, but uh,
0: through that process really figured out that I think it's where I wanted to be. So you talked a lot about kind of your experience with AI ethics, um, coding. Are those the issues that you're most passionate about or are there intersections of those issues that you're most interested in? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I I very much believe in the intersection of a lot of issues and that all policy issues really lead to other policy issues. Um, I'm very much a, a believer of that. But yeah, I came to the Hill really to be an AI ethicist on the Hill. I think it's needed and in a lot of spaces. So everything from hiring algorithms, who gets loans, policing, social services in general, all of this is being impacted by artificial intelligence and I think policymakers uh, would you know would appreciate having an AI ethicist on their team. So I, I wanted to show up and be that. Um, but I think I'm really passionate about right now, algorithm and platform accountability. I think that's the issue of our time. And and what that means this year, I think, is kind of conversations around content moderation, the role algorithms play in what we as internet users see. And then also privacy, of course, I think will be an ongoing conversation this year. And then, um, Bias and algorithms in in general. And again, is that, are people being left out? Um, Are they not seeing information they need? Are they not receiving services that they should have? So I think there's a lot of work to be done in these spaces. And
0: I'm excited to see where it leads. Do you think that the conversation here in D.C. regarding content moderation and platform accountability is different than the conversations taking place in California from what you've experienced? Yeah, so
1: I wasn't in California when CCPA was coming to fruition. Um, actually, it would be so interesting if it had been, because I had been working as a Salesforce.com developer, and I had massive amounts of data um, that I worked with, and it would have been really interesting to see how my job was impacted. But alas, I, I missed it. Um, so, you know, I'm not totally sure. I, I think the thing that I've noticed over the last couple of weeks while I've been in these conversations is that there's a lot more one, one agreement between the parties than I actually originally thought there was. Um, and then even within each party, there's a lot when you get into the nuance of these policies, there's actually a lot of variation. And I think what's interesting and will continue to be interesting is the role that stakeholders are playing um, from all different types of stakeholder groups <laughs> um, and how each member of Congress is managing those stakeholder relationships. And I think, you know, I I think there are a lot of people in the Hill right now that want to get this right and know that good stakeholder engagement is going to be the way to do that but that that's also slow so i think you know i think we're on track i think we're going to see progress in these spaces and And hopefully we'll have a high quality policy in both content
0: moderation and privacy. So kind of shifting the conversation to placement. So you've been kind of talking with offices and committees about placement. What are you most nervous about in regards to placement in your anticipated time on the hill?
1: Yeah. You know, as a consultant, being a consultant is fun because you have so many clients, dozens of clients from all different industries. I've had real estate. I worked with a company that sold tape. (laughs) Um, You know, I've worked with a wide range of, of sectors. But Nothing compares to Congress, right? It's just a totally different place. So I think, you know, of course, I'm nervous to have to learn all of the quote unquote workings of Congress, but also I don't have a strong legal background. Um, my legal background consists of talking to privacy lawyers, <laughs> and that's about the end of it. So, you know, also needing to learn legalese, um, it's just it's going to be a huge, huge jump. But
0: I'm also really excited. So, you've been in Washington and exploring Congress for about a month now. What's the one thing that's surprised you so far about Congress, how it works, the people, like the atmosphere? I think the difference between the
1: House and the Senate has been very striking to me. Um, I think from the outside as a citizen, even someone who studied policy, um, we think of Congress as sort of one branch, um, which it is, but the two chambers are really different. So that's been interesting. Um. And it's, it's also really interesting to hear people who've only worked in one chamber talk about the other chamber um, has also been really interesting, just that relationship. Um, I think the other thing that's been interesting, and I sort of already touched on it, um, you know, the media likes us to think that Republicans and Democrats are really different and that all Republicans and all Democrats are pretty much the same. Um, I just I mean, I very much just oversimplified that. But I think that is the general narrative we pick up in media a lot of times. And I've seen both of those narratives just totally disproven um, in the last two weeks. Um, I've found that there is a lot of variation even within Democrats on a lot of issues. Um, and I've seen that there's a lot of overlap between different groups of Republicans and Democrats where there is agreement. So um. You know, I do think we're in a very partisan time, and I think that is problematic, but to some extent, I wish that the media was able to cover more of the overlaps and nuance more than they are.
0: Um, Yeah, and
1: I blame that on microblogging for the most part, but, (laughs) but, you know, I I
0: think it's been really nice to have that insight. Do you think that there needs to be more of an ability to communicate on tech issues, to connect tech and policy, to connect kind of the media to the processes of Congress in order to kind of encourage more people to go into the space, but also dispel some of the kind of like assumptions that are already out there?
1: You know, I think there's some responsibility on consumers of media and I something I'm very passionate about. I don't think I'll be able to work on this year is within our K to 12 system, like really, really teaching um, information literacy. And this idea of, you know, I think the reason the media writes these stories about the divisiveness and the, and the stories about um, Republicans and Democrats not getting along and kind of blowing up these these areas of difference is because it spreads, it gets shared. And I think when we have the consumers of media more aware of that and more interested, in sort of the nuance and the spaces where work is being done, I think, you know, that's when you could get more of those stories. And I also think that's where you could get stakeholders engaging in a slightly different way as well. And, and citizens as a stakeholder, too, constituents as a stakeholder.
0: Yeah. Cause you've had like the unique ability to kind of work across different sectors and industries and like really interact with people who work in policy, who work in tech, who work in the nonprofit space, the public, private space. And so just the ability to kind of like communicate and information share is something that's really needed.
1: And to like question the information that we are receiving because there's just so much today and people growing up and, and even just living today, we just get so, so much information. And I, I really don't feel like our K to 12 system is totally preparing in any formal way. I think, some, you know, I think some teachers do a very good job with it. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to um, disparage that, but I think overall there needs to just be a a concerted effort on the part of our country to take this seriously and information literacy very seriously. Um, And yeah, and regarding stakeholders, you know, I, I truly am of the belief that if you put any two people in a room, any two people, um, they will have more in common than not. Um, Like humans are very complex and human values are very, very complex. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of us share a lot of the same values Um, and anything starting from that place is really important. And I think I do see a fair amount of that happening on the
0: Hill just in the last couple of weeks. That's awesome. So just kind of wrapping it up, I just want to ask a fun question. Um, So what's the last movie that you watched? Yeah.
1: So I actually just watched The Two Popes on Netflix um, and it it was great. So I, I have a I am Catholic. I was raised Catholic. So, you know, I I like I followed Pope Benedict and Pope Francis pretty closely. And so it was just interesting to see. Um, And I know it was fictionalized, but they did a really good job. And I think what I really loved about it is that the movie really depicts both of these men as human, right? Complex humans and two men who, you know, have made mistakes, who have sinned, but who also followed a calling to service and to protect their communities and to serve the poor. And... That in that calling, they've also made mistakes. And I think for me, watching it while also doing all these interviews with congressional offices (laughs) has been really interesting because I think we see that in a lot of our political leaders today, too, right? These are people who are called to do public service and to protect citizens, I think, for the most part. And, you know, they struggle because they're human.
0: That's it for now. Follow our Twitter at Congress Fellows to keep up with Anna's adventures throughout the fellowship. A special thank you to New America's Open Technology Institute, Tech Congress founder Travis Moore, senior advisor Brooke Hunter, and the New America production team for their continued support.